0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Before we begin, I'd like to thank my newest patron. This time around, we have a new partner patron, Austin. Thanks so much for your generous support, Austin. Your copy of my novel will be on its way to you as soon as possible. Any listeners who want to support the show, find Historical Blindness on Patreon. For as little as a buck a month, You get teasers between episodes and ad-free versions of the show. And at higher levels, you can unlock early access and get electronic or physical copies of my novel. Support from listeners will determine the long-term viability of this project. We're almost two years in, and I haven't quite met my introductory goal of $100 a month in listener support. With my teaching workload, which I've had to increase to support my family in the absence of any real income from this project, It looks like I'll probably have to take a hiatus again soon in order to stay on top of all the classes I'm instructing. I'll let you know about that in the coming weeks. In the meantime, to help make it possible for me to not take hiatuses and spend more time podcasting, pledge your support.
0: The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello everyone, you may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery Mystery of Everything. Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day, there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History, wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: On to the show. Welcome to Historical Blindness, the odd past podcast. I'll be your art dealer today at this showing of curious outsider art. Some say the artist was crazy, some that he was just imaginative, and some that he held great secrets. In this episode, we'll delve back into the lore of mystery airships. In the last episode, I surveyed the history of innovation in ballooning before telling the tale of the mysterious sightings that occurred in 1896 and 97. But is it possible that there is a further history of aviation pioneering that didn't make it into the historical record? Could some inventors have made great strides in the design and building of airships? If fleets of flying machines really were seen in 1896 and 1897, then it would seem someone must have. And there does exist a body of work that claims to answer these questions. In all, it comprises some 2,000 pages with watercolor paintings and handmade collages, as well as handwritten passages that purport to reveal the existence of an organization of airship inventors who made great advancements in aviation in the 1850s, but did so entirely in secret. But is this a work of history or a work of art? Does it impart fact or simply weave in intriguing fiction. Thank you for listening to This Blind Spot, Charles Delshow and his extraordinary Sonora Aero Club. The work began around the turn of the 20th century, The artist was then a man of around 70 years, a Prussian immigrant by the name of Charles August Albert Delshow, who had arrived at Galveston in 1849 at the age of 19. He lived much of his life in Texas, working in Richmond as a butcher, as had been his father's trade. In 1861, he married a widow with a five-year-old girl. Decades later, After losing his wife and most of the children he had fathered with her, he moved from Richmond to Houston to work as a clerk for his stepdaughter's husband, a saddle maker. In the mid-1890s, his son-in-law also passed away, and Delshow moved in with his widowed stepdaughter and her several children. He retired right around when the airship flaps began. Not long after these incredible sightings of flying ships... Charles Delshow, who seems to have spent most of his time in his stepdaughter's attic, began to write his illustrated memoirs. This undertaking thereafter turned into a seemingly endless series of drawings, paintings, and collages on butcher paper. It seems he produced one new, intricate work of art of this sort about every two days, working by candlelight up in his attic studio until he died in 1923 at the age of 93. He never tried to publish his writings or sell his artwork in life, and after he was gone, his family left it moldering up in that attic until the 1960s when a house fire prompted a fire inspector to clean out the attic. Thinking all the old papers a fire hazard, he dumped them all on the curb. Somehow, The artwork thereafter came into the possession of the owner of a local store, where for even longer it remained hidden under various other items, tarps, and carpets, until its rediscovery and sale to various art galleries and museums, and to a researcher named Peter Navarro, whose interest lay principally in the mystery airship sightings of the late 1890s. From there, the work of Charles Delshowe entered history and the public consciousness. You see, rather than the simple autobiography of a butcher as one might have expected from him, his writings and his illustrations and collages depicted in vivid detail his involvement with a society of airship makers in California. If Del Delshow's work is to be believed, then sometime in the early to mid-1850s, Not long after he first arrived in Texas, he traveled to California to the gold rush country west of Yosemite, where in a small town called Sonora, he served as the draftsman for a secret society of airship builders. This group, the Sonora Aero Club, was composed of men with Germanic names, likely immigrants to America just like Delshow, and they met among miners in the saloon at Sonora, talking not of gold, but of flight. One man in particular stands out in Delshaw's works as the leader, or principal innovator, in the Sonora Aero Club, one Peter Minnes, a German miner and rough sort. He is described as a drunk and a genius, tinkering with airships for the sole purpose of astonishing friends and maybe making enough money to keep himself in drink. It is he who engineers or discovers the miraculous, quote unquote, lifting fluid that eventually allows all the Sonora Aero Club's ships to float and fly. Menace calls this material soup, S U P E. Essentially, it replaced hydrogen in their designs, as drops of it released onto rotating metal plates called an electron resulted in a gas that filled the airship's envelopes to provide lift. So you might say they were driving around in souped-up hot air balloons. From Delschau's memoirs, one gets the impression that the club is a group of jovial aviation enthusiasts, keenly interested in the mechanics of flight, yes, but perhaps even more interested in telling a good tale and having a raucous good time at the local tavern. But there is mystery and intrigue in Del Shao's club as well, for theirs was a secret society, and their undertakings performed under a strict code of silence. In one margin among the many tales told in scrawled annotations on his paintings, he tells of an airship pilot that the club suspected was taking payment for transporting cargo, and how the club orchestrated the crash of his vessel in retaliation. There is mention of members being forbidden to build the ships they had designed because they had been sharing too much information with people outside the club, and of a nosy boarding house owner who tried to eavesdrop on their meetings and got stranded on a cliff for her snooping. When ships were built, they had to be disguised as wagons so that no one who saw them would think anything of them. Indeed, even half a century later, Delshao didn't seem entirely comfortable writing about the secrets of the Aero Club. So some of his work is written in code, which of course is very odd for a memoir or a history. Some details that we have come from the researcher Peter Navarro, who claims to have cracked Shao's code after years of studying his work. According to Navarro, one prominent coded phrase Seemingly in Greek characters, Delta Mu equals Chi Phi represents the name of a mysterious organization that financed or somehow otherwise supported or made possible the innovations of the Sonora Aero Club. Navarro says this phrase decodes to NYMZA, N-Y-M-Z-A, although no one really knows what that acronym might stand for. Other researchers suggest that these coded portions were only responses to the Great War in Europe that Shao introduced after 1914, as though he had to keep things secret in a time of war. And judging from the context, they seem to just be a code for the name of the club itself. But that hasn't stopped the shadowy Nimza from becoming a dark and looming entity that casts its shadow over the entire legend. A development we will explore shortly.
0: An old wine cabinet said to be possessed by a demon, which invokes nightmares and physical harm. An island full of giant rabbits said to appear once every seven years off the coast of Ireland. A rural family that in the dead of winter walked one by one into their barn, but never walked out. The world is full of fascinating mysteries, and the Blurry Photos podcast sheds light on the darkest corners of the unknown. With a new storytelling-focused format, Blurry Photos brings legends to life and examines if there's any fact behind the supposed fictions. Join me, David Flora, as I explore the unexplained and explain the unexplored on the Blurry Photos podcast.
1: What really happened on the unsinkable Titanic? What made the 1904 St. Louis Marathon the strangest event in Olympic history? Whatever became of missing boy Bobby Dunbar? And who was the child who returned in his place? If these questions interest you, check out the History Uncovered podcast, brought to you by the digital publisher of All That's Interesting. History Uncovered explores the strange and obscure parts of history that you definitely didn't learn about in school. Hosted by the writers and editors of All That's Interesting, the show covers a wide variety of topics, ranging from the forgotten media spectacle of cave explorer Floyd Collins' death, to the disappearance and possible cannibalization of Michael Rockefeller, to the true story that inspired The Exorcist. With more than 100 episodes, you're bound to find that they've covered a topic that's especially interesting to you, and each month they produce a special History Happy Hour episode examining recent news in the fields of world history and archaeology and commemorating important historical anniversaries come explore the uncharted corners of the natural world and the world past by listening to history uncovered wherever you get your podcasts
0: everybody shush william shatner has something to say cat and jethro box of oddities what do you do when the woman you love dies
1: As Delshow tells it, this was a golden era of aviation in the deep gold country of California. Members of the club held forth about their designs in their secret meetings behind their boarding house. They traveled the roads in airships disguised as covered wagons, waiting until no one was around so they could take flight and go on extended voyages through the skies, sleeping and eating their meals high up in the clouds. But as with all good things, the club eventually came to an end. Crashes are not uncommon in his stories about the club, a fact which really lends his tales authenticity or verisimilitude. For example, one story tells of an arrow being commandeered by a pilot who was not up to the task and drove the ship right into a redwood and broke his neck. For the most part, though, The club easily recovered from such accidents. But when, in the 1860s, Peter Menes himself died in a fiery crash, the secret of his lifting fluid died with him. Apparently, the club floundered for some time, trying to recreate Menes' miraculous substance. But in the end, club members went their separate ways, like Delshow, who ended up back in Texas, if you believe his stories, content to marry and work for 26 years as a butcher after all the profound adventures he had experienced. Now some would argue that this was not the end of the Aero Club, and would suggest that after 30 to 40 years of experimentation, former members must have finally perfected the soup, resulting in the appearance of all those many airships in the 1890s. And these believers will likely point to some recognizable names in Delshow's work, suggesting that a Smith that Delshow mentions must be the same Smith that patented an airship design in 1896, or that a Wilson, he refers to, is likely the same Wilson mentioned in the series of Texas airship sightings. But these are common names being linked to persons decades and many miles apart. There is only one concrete piece of evidence remaining that the Aero Club existed, and it is the artwork of Charles A. A. Delshow, which cannot be taken as definitive proof. Of course, this has not kept conspiracy theorists and fringe thinkers from doing what they do best. And now the Sonora Aero Club is all tied up with a variety of outlandish ideas, with little basis in fact. Take the books and articles of Walter Bosley, for an example. Bosley claims that not only was the Aero Club real, but that the reason why their technology never went mainstream, so to speak, and simply disappeared after the airship sightings was that this represented the beginning of a breakaway civilization. If you are unfamiliar with the idea of breakaway civilizations, think about bad sci-fi in which Nazis developed advanced technology and then withdrew from the world to start their own society in Antarctica or within the hollow earth or on the moon. It's wild stuff, And Bosley doesn't hesitate to draw connections between the Aero Club and its financiers, NIMSA, and the Nazis, with their rumored experimental aircraft, the Nazi Bell. In fact, drawing connecting lines is what Bosley does, even when there are no dots to connect. He suggests that in 1903, when the Wright brothers were struggling to get their plane off the ground, a rumored airship flight to Mars actually did take place using technology from Nikola Tesla and that this represents the beginning of another breakaway group. What's more than that, he even manages to bring Donald Trump into the conspiracy, pointing out that one Delshow painting has the name Homer Trump below a particular ship, suggesting that maybe one of Donald Trump's relatives was part of the Aero Club and further pointing out that Trump's uncle, John G. Trump, was one of the FBI agents who went through Tesla's documents after he died, hinting at some kind of cloak-and-dagger intrigue between these two rival breakaway civilizations. But even Walter Bosley himself seems to have embraced his critics' biggest complaint against his theories and freely admits that he engages in, quote, wild-ass speculation, end quote. The fact is, though, that elements of Shao's story invite speculation as to its authenticity. It has been observed that the machinery he drew was very precise and that he used the same mechanisms over and over again, which would likely be the case if inventors were building their designs on previous iterations. Does this just represent a lack of imagination on Shao's part, or is it a stroke of realism? It can hardly be said when looking at his work that he lacked imagination and this may actually be a mark against the veracity of his stories, for many of the stories in his early memoirs are ridiculous, featuring a very fictive protagonist-antagonist relationship between Peter Menace and an obese foil named Christian Axel von Remmeling who crashes his airship and thereafter becomes the butt of various pranks. Indeed, the simple fact that Delshow purports to remember verbatim the words spoken so many years ago is itself suspect, like when he goes into some of Menace's speeches, such as when Menace tells of a dream he has, and it becomes a narrative about rescuing the corpulent Remeling from the moon. And yet, when one wants to confirm that Shaw wasn't in Sonora in the 1850s, one finds a blind spot in his past. No one seems able to confirm his whereabouts between his arrival at Galveston in 1849 and his marriage in Richmond in 1861. But likewise, no one has been able to dig up any historical evidence of any of the principal characters ever having lived around Sonora at the time either. And even if this evidence were ever discovered, wouldn't it be easier to believe that these were just some pranksters spouting off at a saloon, maybe something akin to the ancient and honorable order of E. Clampus Vitus? that drinking club and parody of a fraternal organization called the clampers which was active in sonora at the time and is known for its pranks and false mythology and in the same way isn't it easier to believe that after the airship sighting hysteria and during the decades of genuine aviation breakthroughs afterward this old man undertook an ingenious art project rather than that at 20 years of age Fresh in the country, and with no experience doing anything other than carving meat, this young man was spirited away to California to serve as the draftsman for a secret society of balloonists with near-magical technology. Then again, I suppose just because something is easier to believe doesn't always make it true. Thank you for listening to Historical Blindness, the Odd Past Podcast. Much of the music heard on the show is provided by composer Alex Kish. Visit alexkishmusic.com to get compositions for your own projects. As always, a huge thanks goes out to my partner patrons on Patreon. Michael, Robert, Diane, Joe, and Austin. You're my muses as I sit up in this attic pasting newspaper clippings together into art. Find me on Patreon to support the show and get some perks, such as access to ad-free episodes, teasers, and early episode release. Also visit the website to browse the show's merch, check out the reading list, and click through to Amazon to buy my novel about the beginning of Mormonism in early 19th century New York and its connection to Masonic conspiracy. If you buy and read the novel, give me a review on Amazon. And if you're able to, rate and review the show on whatever app you use as that can really help people discover the show. Until next time. If you find a piece of art heaped on the curb, in a junkyard, or at a garage sale, buy it and display it by all means. But look into it further before you call it history.